folks, this is Jeff McIntyre, Strasburg of Sustainablog. Uh, welcome to another edition of Important Ideas, the weekly hangout on air from the Important Media Blog Network. Um, last week we had quite an exciting debate uh, in, in the sense that lots of things happened that nobody expected to happen. Uh, Mitt Romney came out with, with, you know, all sorts of character. Um, Barack Obama seemed really, really tired and, and out of it. And, and from our perspective, um, the environment and energy issues got more attention than I ever expected them to. Now, the type of attention they got uh, is, is problematic, to say the least, on, on several levels. So I invited Jeremy Bloom here from uh, Red, Green, and Blue. And then, of course, Scott Cooney is here from uh, the Inspired Economist. He's always joining us to... Uh, talk and, and to keep an eye on our hashtags. So if you are just listening or watching but thinking, oh God, I, I gotta say something or I've got a question here, feel free to use the impid hashtag. That's I-M-P-I-D. And use that on Twitter or Google Plus and uh, Scott's keeping an eye on that. So uh, Jeremy, I, I know you wrote about this. You, I mean, you wrote, um, well, I'll, I'll let you discuss. To tell people uh, what, what you, uh, what you wrote about after the debate on, on Red, Green, and Blue. Well, one of the most um, fascinating, I guess is the right way to put it, yeah. um, things about the debate was that um, Romney made an interesting calculation which appears to have paid off, and that is that a lot of people have not been paying attention to this election. A, lot, a whole lot of kind of what we call um, low information voters have not really been paying deep attention. They haven't been watching ads. They haven't been watching the GOP debates back in the primaries. And um, for a lot of people, probably millions of people, this was really the first glimpse of Romney they had. And he took this opportunity to completely redefine himself, or as his advisor said, to take an Etch-a-Sketch moment, um, where he basically shook the Etch-a-Sketch and completely said, all that stuff I talked about for the past two years? No, 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 that's not me. I didn't say that. <laughs> and kind of reinvented himself, and it worked. He came off as a kind of a happy moderate on top of the issues who um, is strong and forceful and um, has good things to say for the country. The fact that none of the things he said for the most part were true was also a calculated risk that he took because most of those low-impact voters are just going to watch the debate. They're not going to come around and read the follow-ups in the press. They're not going to um, read the fact-checkers. And um, so all they're going to get is that 90 minutes of Romney appearing reasonable and Romney coming up with all these good facts. None of which were yeah, true. Yeah, and, and he did seem to have, seem to have a lot of a lot of facts on his fingertips. Um, mm -hmm. The classic one is the ninety billion dollars okay, that Obama spent. To discuss that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the classic was the ninety billion dollars that Obama spent on clean energy jobs, half of which failed. Sounds terrible. Sounds just appalling. My God, how could Obama have done such a thing? Well, of course, he didn't do anything of the kind. He did nothing of the kind. That was complete fabrication. Like all fabrications, it has some basis in reality. There was $90 billion in the stimulus that was targeted toward 
um, an overall overarching concept of green jobs. It went some of it to um, the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, <laughs> it happens. Uh, some of it went toward um, loan guarantees toward companies like Solyndra, some of which did fail. Um, that's why you have loan guarantees. <laughs> They're risky investments, and that's why the government is the guarantor of last resort. Um, some of it went toward things like nuclear power. Some of it went toward cleanups of nuclear stuff. Some of which went toward clean coal, which Romney is in favor of. So he was basically taking that $90 billion and completely fudging it. Then he went with that 50% figure. Well, there was a Heritage article by an intern back during the summer, which went through everything the government has done in the past uh, three years and put a list of all the failures. There were about 22 of them. Well, 22 things that the government has done out of whatever, you know, thousands of things that the government has thrown money at over the past three years coming up as failures is a pretty good track record. But Romney somehow made that into half of everything the government has done as a failure. So, I was wondering where he got that half figure too, because again, that that certainly struck me immediately as as very wrong. Um, if I remember right, I mean, again, there there were thirty companies that got those guarantees. I believe only three of them actually went bankrupt. And, and Correct. One of those three is still in business. And the other two, um, yes, they went bankrupt, but there were assets that were sold off. Okay. Um, and one of them was actually bought out by another company, and so the government got most, the, in terms of the loan guarantees payout, most of that didn't actually happen. So it wasn't, even though there was a $500 billion loan guarantee put in place, the government did not lose, sorry, $500 million, the government did not lose $500 million. So again, the facts are completely at variance with this horrible, horrible picture that Romney painted, but that's not what was he was trying to do. What he was trying to do was come out with some good-sounding factoids that made it seem like the Obama administration had thrown vast amounts of money, much more money than they were throwing at um, oil and coal, which is also not true, and... Um, and making it appear that the Obama administration was wasting taxpayers' money on these pipe dreams. When in actual fact, the, the reality of the situation is the money, first of all, created some good jobs. Second of all, um, helped do some very good economic stimulus. And third of all, created a lot of infrastructure, which is going to be helping the economy for years and years and years to come, as opposed to what happens with big oil, where they're going to be creating those jobs no matter what, whether we're throwing billions of dollars at them. They're the most profitable countries on the planet, and they're making record money. They are going to be doing an enormous amount of, uh, of drilling. In fact, drilling is at its highest point in, um, I think, since 2003 or possibly 2007. But drilling is not an issue. There's lots and lots of drilling going on. And, and if I understand right, there are even um, lots of permits that these companies have that, that they're just not using. Uh, yeah, when he said that um, that uh, 
of the Obama administration has not approved new permits, not only and new drilling on public land that is not uh, on. on yeah, on public land. Not only is that not true, but the oil companies are sitting on 7,000 permits, okay. more than 7,000 permits that they've gotten issued, but they just haven't bothered to drill on yet because they've got other things going on. <laughs> yeah. Scott, yeah, what, struck, what struck you? Loud? Go ahead. Yeah, what what uh, what is striking you here? Yeah, it's you know, it's kind of an economic argument too. I mean, the, those companies are not drilling because their geologists are telling them that it's not the right time to drill just yet. They're they're buying those permits so they can hold on to them. That's kind of the idea: is that if you reserve it, well, gas prices will continue to go up, and by the time it gets to a point where gas is seven dollars a gallon, it will make sense to drill on those on those uh, public lands. So it's really it's the oil companies' decisions not to do it. It's not uh, it's not anything being held up by government in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, it's interesting. This morning, I, I put an article on Inspired Economist uh, that was uh, entitled "As If the BP Oil Spill Never Happened," and the idea is, um, you know, this this conversation about 90 billion. Uh, I think Jeremy's right on target. Romney made these assertions. <laughs> Jer Jeremy, would you mind mic muting your microphone? We can oh, sorry, am I slurping? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I enjoy coffee as much as you do, but uh <laughs> caffeine is necessary. It is indeed. Um, so yeah, so as if the drill, uh, the uh, spill in the in the Gulf never happened. Uh, you know, take this ninety billion. It turns out that only one third of that ninety billion has actually been spent. Uh, so as you know, Romney threw that ninety billion out. Not true by by a factor of three. Uh, then he threw out the fifty percent figure. Not true by a factor of fifty. I mean, the actual the actual number is about one percent have failed. And as Jeremy said, the government was actually able to recoup a lot of that money that came back from that. So this two massive lies embedded within each other but uh, you know you you can't trust that the that as Jeremy said that people are gonna go the extra mile and check out the facts and that sort of thing by o Obama not saying anything about it he basically let Americans believe that this was true so here's the thing is that um, back in the in the time when these loans happened re the recession had caused uh, credit to be very tight and so if money is not flowing through the system, you don't have any liquidity. If you don't have any liquidity, companies can't grow, expand, and hire new people. And so by guaranteeing loans, the government was putting a stable hand on the market and saying, okay, we're going to help move things along. So the alternative to doing guaranteed loans by the government is having these companies just stop doing things, which then puts more people on the unemployment rolls and uh, basically takes jobs away. Right, so by guaranteeing these loans, you're guaranteeing that people are staying at work, not going on the government uh, payroll as, as unemployed, uh, and doing productive things for the economy, which has a spillover effect. Uh, so any economist would be very proactive and say, look, during a time of recession, if credit is tight, that's one of the government's key roles that they can play to help keep, keep things moving along. One addition to that. Um, not only does the government do loan guarantees for solar and wind, at the same time, the government put in a program for $35 billion in loan guarantees for nuclear power plant construction. And has anybody heard anything from the GOP about how horrible it is that the government is putting in $35 billion for nuclear power plant construction? Yeah, I mean, this, this is exactly the, exactly the point. And, and, you know, going forward, you can, you can look back at this and say, what is the government's role? I mean, that, that's what the debate really should have been about. And the, the government has historically always invested in new technologies and new industries, uh, whether it's rail or interstate highway systems, even oil. It, it, you know, to, to get 
fossil fuel industries off the ground. The government subsidized the heck out of it back in the day, gave guaranteed loans. And so this is something that is not new. It's never been new. The government always does this sort of thing. And the idea is you're creating long-term jobs and long-term economic benefit for the, for the um, country. Every other government around the world is investing in their own clean tech inf infrastructure. And if we don't, we fall dramatically behind. That's the bottom line. So you have that. And then the alternative, which Romney is saying, is that the government shouldn't be picking winners and losers. It should be totally up to the free market. But the problem is, and this is where the BP oil spill comes back in, is if the free market is picking, then basically they go for the, the quickest wins, the lowest hanging fruit, uh, all else be damned. And you know, the idea is if, if you don't subsidize the healthcare costs of, of uh, coal, coal turns out to be three times more expensive than wind. Same thing with the BP oil spill. Uh, the drilling platform that blew up that was run by Halliburton and BP was running uh, the flag of the Marshall Islands when it blew up because the company that owned that drilling platform was basically avoiding U.S. taxes. And so you can, you can look that up and say, okay, how much taxes are we losing by allowing the free market to decide who's drilling and where and whatever and the shenanigans going on between BP and Halliburton and these other great corporate citizens uh, to create more drill baby drill policies. And so that's when it all comes down to it, the government needs to be investing in, uh, in clean tech infrastructure, creating American jobs that can't be outsourced and a, and a huge tax revenue going forward. In the very best of senses, I'm feeling a bit like Jim Lehrer here. You guys are doing a wonderful job with this. Um, well, you know, as you were talking there, Scott, and, and I think this ties into what you were saying too, Jeremy, um, the one point that, that Romney made that um, also set me on edge a little bit it was when he went after Obama on coal. Um, that it is Obama administration policy that is hurting coal industry. Um, and, and I mean that seemed, you know, and you guys can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but that seemed completely off base too. That, that ultimately we've got a case there largely of, of the market making choices What's, keep, what's killing coal right now is gas. Natural gas, exactly. Natural gas. Natural gas is cheap because they've developed fracking technology, which is getting subsidies. It's getting subsidies on several different levels. There's a really interesting article I'm going to be putting up this week about um, how, um, on the one hand, you've got the regulators in Pennsylvania who are basically turning a blind eye to everything that's going on. And on the other hand, in North Dakota, you've got um, state officials who are taking contributions from the companies, um, campaign contributions from the companies, and turning around and basically gutting whatever oversight and regulation is going on so that the companies themselves don't actually have to pay any of the money they're supposed to be paying for even the little infrastructure that's going, that, that you know, that the, 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 the Sorry, <laughs> it just it pisses me off. <laughs> on the one hand, they're screaming about free market, and on the other hand, they're saying, except for us, of course the free market shouldn't apply to us. So natural gas is now cheaper than it's been in years and years, and it's killing coal. And so what coal is now talking about doing in the middle of this national debate about energy independence is shipping coal from Montana to China. 
it's a big issue right here where I live in Eugene, Oregon, because they're talking about shipping five coal trains a day through the heart of downtown Eugene, Oregon, so that they can ship coal from Montana to ports out on the Pacific and send it to China. Well, that means that we're going to have open coal cars running through our town five times a day, spilling coal dust and through the heart of our downtown and every other town along the route, of course. It's going to be horrible for our kids. It's going to cause asthma. It's going to basically, you know, cause coal dust build up on cars along the entire downtown. And what happened to energy independence? What happened to, you know, North American energy independence? And no, we'll ship it to China. None of this is making any sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think as we look at the big picture here, it, it's, uh, yeah, um, not much has changed. It, it feels like um, we've been beating up on Romney, and, and I think that's largely deserved. Um, it, it occurred to me that, you know, has the president's all of the above energy policy contributed to the kind of mindset that played into this, um, the, the fact that he has said, yeah, we're going to, invest in clean coal, we're going to invest in more drilling, and, and there is more drilling going on um, in nuclear power. Um, does he have? Does he need to take some uh, heat for the way the discussion has gone here? I, I think he does, Jeff, and I, I think it's it's a great question you asked, and it's, it's um, one of the things I talk about in that article about the uh, BP oil spill is what Obama's uh, um, opportunity is going forward to take this whole conversation, take it as a bull by the horns, right. and to really sort of redirect this conversation. I mean, he's, he's allowed the energy policy conversation to be dictated by a lot of other forces, and that has kind of pinned him into a corner. But if you just lay out the facts just as they are and make a good narrative, that's all the American people really want. And what Romney did really well was create a good narrative in that last uh, debate. It wasn't exactly factual, as Jeremy pointed out, but if, if you can create a good narrative and say, hey, look, you know, we need to invest in, in industries that create uh, jobs of the future. You know, leave it at, leave it at that, and you, you score a winning point. You know? Go a little farther and say, hey, look, we can't trust BP to do the right thing all the time. There's another point. You can't trust the free market all the time. It needs some reg regulation and oversight. If you can create a good narrative around this stuff, then people, it will resonate with people. People aren't dumb. They don't believe all these, you know, clean coal ads and uh, the vote for energy campaign and all that kind of stuff. They've been bedazzled by that stuff before, and you know, it, it won't resonate as long as you give them a good alternative. Yeah, story, stories are powerful things, definitely. Jeremy, you were going to say something? Yeah, um, one of the things that I think has really been proven time and time again in this discussion is that there's a word for. Um, what Romney has done in terms of reaching across the aisle and attempting to do this all of the above policies, and that is sucker. Um, fundamentally, Romney, ha uh, Romney ha went out there and said, I'm the guy who reached across the aisle. I'm the guy who can bring everybody together. Well, again, one of those bottom line lies. Um, Romney had to work with a Democratic legislature in Massachusetts. It's true just as he said, and they did pass things. The way they passed things was the Democratic legislature passed stuff, Romney vetoed it, Romney issued hundreds of vetoes, and the Democratic legislature overrode his vetoes. 
That is not bipartisanship. That is not working across the aisle with Democrats. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> the, flip, the flip side of that is, for instance, on Obamacare, Romney reached across, or sorry, Obama reached across the aisle, spent 14 months negotiating with the Republicans, watered the bill down from the single-payer bill that was an original idea, moved everything to a Heritage Foundation-approved policy that had been Newt Gingrich's policy back in 1996-97, pushed that through the Congress with no Republican votes. He reached across, said, I will take your ideas, and they said, fine, we still won't vote for them. And the same thing has happened across the board with energy and with everything else. He's gotten no GOP votes not because he hasn't reached out. He's gotten GOP votes because the GOP has said, we're not going to vote for stuff, even if it's stuff that we say we're in favor of. Right. We will give you no victories. Yeah, and then the obstruction issue, yeah, and I hope that comes up in the future debates and uh, and that yeah that you mm -hmm. know I mean I think we'd all like to see Obama get a little more um, aggressive and the, cla the, the the fundamental bottom line is he will reach across the aisle and he will get no credit for it so at this point I don't understand why he's even trying because no matter what he does he is getting blamed for stuff that doesn't exist I mean the classic is not an environmental issue it's what's coming up right now with um, the uh, the terrible thing that happened in Libya, and there was just a hearing yesterday on, oh my God, why wasn't there more security at the uh, consulate in Libya? Well, there wasn't security at the consulate in Libya because in the past two budgets, the Republicans have cut the security budget for the State Department, for the consulates and the embassies. It's a straightforward, bottom-line dollar issue. They cut the budgets. The embassies and consulates didn't have the money for more security. But it does not stop them from attacking Obama and attacking Hillary Clinton for their own failures. So at this point, there really isn't much point in trying to negotiate. And I think that raises a very interesting point, which I have seen brought up a couple of times, and that is that the problem with debates at this point, especially with debates with people like this who are being completely mendacious, is people do not remember facts. Democrats argue facts and Republicans argue broad moral sweeping things and people respond to those broad moral sweeping things even if they can be disproven because most of them don't get the disproving and the debunking Democrats go out there and recite their facts and Republicans stand up there and look strong and what people remember is hmm Republicans looked strong Romney looked strong that seems to be what people respond to, and unfortunately, that is what we. It, the bottom line is in elections these days. Obama won last time around because of hope. He came off looking as a strong man who was calm in a crisis. We were in a huge crisis, and he came up with as a strong father figure and said, "I am going to bring you hope." What Obama did in the last debate was look down a lot, hemmed and hawed, and spewed out a lot of facts and figures, and that is a recipe for complete and total loss, as we've seen. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, I think that goes back to Scott's point about having a narrative framework, having having a story to tell there. And, and yeah, definitely we saw that in the last debate. Romney came in with a narrative that, that he was going to push, regardless of, 
of the rules. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Obama came in with facts and figures. And, and when you've got those two going against each other, the, the, the story is always going to win out on that. We have hit about 25 minutes here, so I, I uh, think I'm going to cut it off. I think this has been fascinating, though. Um, and, you know, God, I, I wish these discussions were happening more uh, as opposed to, you know, Big Bird and, and so forth and, and everything we, we've seen in, in the past week. Um, but, yeah, Jeremy Bloom from Red, Green, and Blue, Scott Cooney from The Inspired Economist. Uh, thank you guys for joining me this afternoon. and uh, Thanks for having us. Oh, my pleasure, and we'll do this again next week. Thanks, Jeff. All right.